0: All right, so we're to the theology of it. Uh, We've talked uh, several weeks um, about all the words. And so we've got this word bank built up. And this is how you approach everything. Um, The majority of the people have what they believe, and then they work backwards from that. They have this image of who God is and what He is like. And so when they sit down to read the Bible, that belief becomes a filter through which they filter everything and put everything in its boxes. And then you wind up just believing something and not really allowing Scripture to determine what you believe. We went through this, what we would think is backward from a human perspective, but we went through it in a biblical approach because you study, you study the Word, you study the grammar, you study the context, and the theology takes shape. That's why systematics, we call it systematics. You know, when you got um, all the puzzle pieces in place, then you have a systematic theology. But that's the very last thing you can do. None of us in this room are old enough to have a systematic theology yet. I'm convinced that's like the last thing you hammer out in life because you're so busy working through the words and the context and the grammars to fully understand things. And again, majority of people go through it backwards and that's not the way to do that at all. Uh, so we've been walking through hamartiology, which is the study of sin. And now with that foundational truth, we can develop the systematic understanding of sin, uh, because we're working toward, and we're to the last chapter where we're going to understand salvation. And so there's a lot of good things in this chapter. Uh, they're difficult. I basically have it broken up into two sections. We're going to talk about primarily the fall of man, Tonight, we'll get into a little bit of original sin, but basically the second part of this is going to be digesting Romans 5. And so I didn't want to have, I just wanted that to be alone on the table. So next week, Lord willing, we'll just digest Romans 5 because that's where the most of the theology comes from, from all this stuff that we've been talking about. So let's look at this. Uh, he kind of begins this last, or this chapter 4, last chapter on the martiology with this statement. Anyone who has a defective hamartiology will necessarily also be errant in his soteriology. And I put that in a little easier to understand. If you don't understand sin, you won't understand salvation. And so that's what we've been working hard at doing, is trying to understand all the terminology in regard to sin. All right. Uh, so understanding our terminology that we've talked about. Um, I was trying to remember the words that Travis used when he closed us in prayer last week. Um, I don't remember what he said. Absolutely corrupt, depraved, and I think he was depressed in the midst of all that. He said something like that in his prayer, and I kind of got tickled. Um, But I understand it. So understanding all those words that we talked about, what can be said in regard to the very essence of our salvation? No, I'm not. I don't have a particular phrase or word in mind. But just learning what you've learned about how sinful we are, what can you now say in regard to our salvation? Man, we need it. Man, we need it. That's a good statement. There's multiple statements that we could say in regard to this. It would take an act of God. It would take an act of God. Absolutely. Uh, That's a good statement. Anybody else? What would you all say? Yeah, we we greatly underestimate the altitude of grace. It's, yeah. And I don't know if we'll ever see the peak of that mountain, but we'll enjoy looking at it forever and climbing up the side, I guess. (laughs) So anyway, working through that, uh, you begin to understand uh, a great deal of the... I was talking to somebody this week, and I knew no one who has done the hard work that we did, but the distance between their sin and God's holiness was not that great. And it's really hard to have a conversation with someone like that because they think, you know, I'm a good person. I mean, that's kind of where they were. I, I haven't done really bad things. I'm a Pretty good person, and so that distance between you know us and God is kind of close for them. In other words, that question that I asked Sunday, that I'm going to pick back up next Sunday: uh, Why did God put the Egyptians down and redeem the Israelites? Well, I feel like their response would probably be, "Well, they were the better people," but that's. I mean we know that not to be the case. By the way, why did he do that? I'm gonna deal with that Sunday. Why didn't he put the Egyptians down and bring the Israelites out? Chose he chose them, but a little more than that. You're right. Show them his power. Um, no. That's not where I'm headed. You gotta think where I'm headed. Get in here. <laughs> I mean, he I mean Pharaoh did refuse to believe. He did thank you. That's the only word I was looking for, promise. I promise to. And that's our our salvation is based on that. Don't ever think it's based on anything else. I promise to. That's what God says. I promised if you're in my son, it's going to be really good for you. If you're married to Jesus, it's going to be really good for you. That's our promise. Okay. All right. So from the standpoint of creation, God did not create sin as a part of man we're kind of stepping all the way back to anthropology the study of man first chapter sin is moral metaphysical which basically means not physical or spiritual sin is not material and is distinguishable as its own entity apart from the physical body the reason that you need that foundation is because He goes on to say, sin is not identifiable with the material substance of our being. Sin is not the stuff of man. It is an intruder. Therefore, people sin, not physical bodies or physical members of the body. Does that all that make sense? Let me give you some questions. Cain killed Abel, who or what sinned? Was the rock involved? Or the stick? Was his feet involved? Was his hands involved? Yeah, they were. But it was the depravity that was moving his body to act out in violence and murder. And So you got to make those parts indistinguishable. Because if you don't make them separate, you'll wind up with God being responsible for sin and He is not responsible for sin. So we have this fallenness within us and our physical flesh bows to that. And that's important for you to understand because when we get into soteriology, you'll understand that you just don't have control of that. You don't have the ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go walking into Jesus. Okay? Our flesh bows and bends to this depraved nature that we possess. You stole money from your workplace. Who or what sinned. You think about all that's involved with you actually pulling that stunt off. We've had a lot of Not a lot. We've had a handful of girls over my 30 years that have tried that in the pharmacy. Some of them got away with it for a really long time. You think about all that's involved in that, right? Physically, fleshly, it involved a whole lot. And it was a part of everything that went on but the essence behind all of that was the depraved nature within them. Does that make sense? So you can't say that God had any sort of involvement, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, any sort of involvement in giving us this sinful nature even though we carry it out in the flesh and in the body. Does that make sense? Does that make any sort of sense? Cody? So we can't use the excuse of the devil maybe or yes, certainly you can't do that, but it's not physical culpability. It's not physical responsibility, although you physically did it. And it just shows you how your flesh is so weak. It's like, can I really not control my arms and my hands not to reach into the till and pull out a $100 bill? Am I really that weak that I can't stop myself? No, you really can't because it's the depraved lostness that's motivating you and it's just like all of a sudden your whole being becomes brainless and you ask somebody why did you do that i've sat in front of these people a number one of them stole thousands upon that why did you do that you know what their response was guess what their response was i don't know i don't know You're like, yeah, I understand that a little bit better because I understand how sin works. But, you know, we're going to hold you physically accountable for what you've done, even though I know you were motivated by spiritual reasons. Abby told me that uh, Dr. Hodges this week uh, worked with a patient who was overwhelmed with anxiety. And he told her, I'm going to write you a prescription for your anxiety, but you need to understand anxiety is a spiritual issue. And prayed with her. You write. That, that's right. It's not a physical issue. It's, it's a spiritual issue. Okay? So, anyway. All right, let's keep going. Genesis 3. So, if we're going to, you know, this is the starting place, right? Uh, and when you look at Genesis 3, which is when Adam and Eve fell, Right? you have to understand that it is a historical reality that took place in time and space or it's a metaphor that helps us understand the wickedness that we find in humanity. Now if you pick the wrong one of those, your theology will forever be wrong and you'd be surprised how many in the church pick the wrong one these days. It has to be an historical reality that took place in time and space or we have no gospel. If it's just an illustration or a metaphor, we have nothing. And then you can go through Scripture. Here it is. We'll read it. You can go through Scripture and you see a lot of references. And the way that they reference it, it has to be a physical reality in time and space. This is what we're talking about. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to her, You will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And by the way, he he told a full eye in verse 4, you will not die. But he only told a half a lie in verse 5. Your eyes will be open knowing good and evil. That's true, right? Uh, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now here's the problem that you run into. If the world is 26 million, how old